From that day on, I was going somewhere, he said. I was running. From that day on, I was going somewhere. And it's exciting to see that. It, it, it sums up the story of his life, that no matter what came along, nothing was going to get in the way of him running in life. And as we watch toward the end of the movie, he does do a lot of running, doesn't he? He just keeps running and running and running. And that is a theme for our lives as well. As we watch this, we are encouraged, we are inspired with whatever problems are in our lives to keep on running. We know what it is like to live the life of running. And we can watch in Forrest's life and see the ups and the downs and the craziness and the, the shrimp boating and everything else that he did. Um, he had a challenging life, but he was able to keep going. And we know what it is like to run as well, able to stride through life with amazing grace. We can remember what it is like to soar along like the eagle catches wind and owns the sky. It may be a distant memory for us, but we have no doubt experienced this feeling in our life before, haven't we? Uh, the, the fact that uh, we run sometimes with things that are clinging to us and holding us down and we're able to break free from them one day and able to just soar right along. I think all of us, we know what that feeling is like at some point. The Hebrew people that we just heard about in our reading earlier, they certainly had memories of living this way, of being able to run, to be able to soar, to be able to walk without growing faint. But they had forgotten about it because they were in a far away land and the hardships and challenges of life had entered into their souls, causing them to live in a whole new way. And so Isaiah comes along to remind them of something special. In our chapter here, this Isaiah chapter 40, we get the second half of it here, but it begins with what we read in, uh, and what we did read in, in this past season of Advent. Uh, probably, I think it was the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, and it, like our reading today, is familiar. And it dances in our heads as uh, we hear the, the Handel's Messiah. Uh, whether we're shopping in a store or whether we hear it at church or it's on the radio, uh, this song, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. It's a, it's a powerful song, and it's a, a powerful part of, of that presentation of Messiah. These are powerful words of hope for the people of Jerusalem who have spent generations away from what they felt was comfortable, so far away from what they felt was God and God's ability to rescue them. This second half of the chapter, our portion for today, provides us with a glimpse into what waiting was, was like for them. We know what it is like to wait. I was thinking about this this past week as we were doing tax preparations and uh, as people come in... Uh, we only have so many prepares, we can only do so much at one time, and there's a good bit of waiting that's there, Just and we're just being like every other government office, right? Uh, wait in line, but there is that waiting. We know what it is like to wait, whether we're waiting for a movie, or we're waiting for a check, or we're waiting for a special word about something, and they certainly waited, and he gives us an idea, giving voice to the questions that they had for God in the midst of their waiting. This passage of Scripture describes their vulnerability, the long-suffering, the sense of abandonment that these people were experiencing. Whether or not they had admitted it to each other, they had wondered if God really was the God that they had known of in the past. The God that their mother and father had spoken of. The, the God that their grandfather and grandmother and other ancestors had talked about so fervently. 
This God that was always there for them. They were wondering where God was now. Maybe He isn't as powerful as we thought. Maybe He isn't the God that we thought He was. Maybe the gods of Babylonia are real. And God isn't. When we first moved here, we saw them bowing down to to poles and to idols, and we just thought that was silly, but it seems like it works for them. It seems so much more real than our God. They must have wondered. As Isaiah noted, they said, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God. That phrase has stayed with me in this past week. My way is hidden from the Lord. God can't see my way. He doesn't know what's going on with me. And my right, my right to live and my right to be who I feel I need to be has been totally disregarded by God. Now that is showing the depths of their soul, the valley that they're walking through, a true dark night of the soul. You may already be aware of the depths of the valley that Mother Teresa experienced uh, and I've, I've shared a lot of quotes in here from Mother Teresa, and they're always inspirational and they're challenging and um, remind us about the kind of difference that she made in people's lives. But there are some other quotes out there that grab our attention. New information from her life came to light in the book, Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light, which was edited and composed by Reverend Brian Kolochik. And a Times Magazine uh, article about the book captured a telling quote, one that Teresa never ever intended to be published. It's uh, like if, you know, if I went through your diary and uh, read what you had written about God and your inner thoughts and then published it, uh, this is what was done, of course, uh, really in combination with uh, her process of beatification and, and all of that. Uh, and this editor wasn't putting it out there to try to tarnish her in any way, but to really encourage other people in their thoughts and their views about God. But this particular quote shows one of the darkest times that any saint uh, has ever expressed in writing. These are some, some truly blue words. She wrote to one of her confessors after moving to India and beginning her work there in the gutters of the poor. She told her confessor, Jesus has a very special love for you. As for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see. I listen and do not hear. It's hard to imagine that about Mother Teresa. And she dealt with that depression. She dealt with those doubts and the challenges to her faith really throughout the rest of her ministry there in India. The amazing thing is how she kept going. How she kept serving, even with her doubts, her struggles, and her questions. It is encouraging and reassuring to hear that someone as devout and saintly as Mother Teresa had her doubts and her weak moments, just like we do. We do have our doubts, don't we? Don't you? We at times find ourselves far away from where we thought that we would be. Stuck in a place that never, ever seems to get better cut off from the security and the comfort that we once knew, frustrated by the feeling of alienation and abandonment. These are emotions that we can feel even as we call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus and even as we can point back to a specific time in our faith when we know that we accepted Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior. Even then, we can look back and see that 
We've had difficult times and we've had our doubts. And in these places of life, we see the gods that people worship. Things that they make and things that they give power. Things that they bow down to and worship. It appears that they are getting the help that they need. While the God you pray to doesn't answer. And just seems to have disappeared and vanished. You may still believe in God, but now think this is a deity who is too big to be able to be concerned about little old you and your problems. Does anybody identify with this? I mean, let's just be honest. We've been there different times, different places. If God was concerned about me, surely He would have answered. And surely He would get me out of this mess that I'm in. If God loves me, He obviously doesn't see the struggle I'm having because a loving God would step in and do something about the problem that I'm having. This is what they thought as they were there in Babylon, as they were dealing with this alienation. The bit about being a grasshopper in this scripture text makes a lot of sense in this mode. I was down uh, just for a minute at the beginning of the youth Sunday school and I, I saw that Kyle had a picture of a grasshopper on the screen. I, I knew where his lesson was going. Uh, and Isaiah refers to people as grasshoppers here in this passage. In fact, if you look throughout Isaiah and Jeremiah and other passages, Daniel, you'll find all kinds of imagery like this. But this bit about being a grasshopper makes a lot of sense when we're in this mode. God is real, but real far away. I'm like a little creature, a little green creature, here today and gone tomorrow. Surely that's how God sees me. Isaiah, though, he didn't want people to dwell on their grasshopper-like state. He wanted them to know that their God was great. And so he flips this whole conversation around to know that they were cared for, even if they viewed themselves and felt like grasshoppers. Isaiah's words were to remind the exiles that God knew that they had all of these questions about, where are you, God? When are you going to show up? They were to show that he was listening, even though he was the creator of all things. God asks them. Hear, hear this word from Isaiah again. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It reminds us about Job and Job having this conversation with God. And, and he begins to question God and God just comes right back to him and says, Job, I mean, do you not realize that I am God, that I know all of this? And, and this is something that uh, it comes as no surprise to me. Haven't I made the heavens and all of this? And this is the same conversation that's taking place here. God reminds them that He brings down princes and rulers of the earth. And for the people that were there surrounded by uh, those who are taking them captive, they can just think, okay, God, God will take them down one day just as they have taken us down. Especially those who have captured them. That they are like chaff. That they are blown away by the wind as they wonder about the gods of the people who surround them, he asked them to consider which of them, which of those gods could equal him. He was the real God. They were just man-made. He was the only real God. He was above all others, standing above his creation. He then directed their eyes to the skies to see the stars that they had created, that he maintains and that he knows by name. This past week, Jack uh, found a, an app on his phone and it was one of those that you can hold up to the night sky and you can see the stars and know which planets are which. And I had a, a question about one particular, obviously it was a planet, it was much brighter and seemed much bigger 
than the others. And, and he was able to identify that. And it was just amazing to look at all of the stars and all the constellations and just to think about uh, the expansiveness of God's universe and all the things that he has made and the fact that God says, I know every one of them by name. And I was thinking it was pretty cool when uh, Maggie Lee uh, passed away, somebody uh, named a star in her, her name. And I thought, that's interesting. I, I was trying to figure out which one it was up there. And I said, Jack, wouldn't that be cool if we saw in there her particular name and said, that's her star. But God knows them all by name. He told Abraham the same thing, didn't he? He says, look up at the skies, look at the stars. And he begins to reveal more of his presence and his love and the fact that he can get really specific with his creation. Isaiah reminded them that God never sleeps, he never gets tired, God never faints. No, he is a God who cares about everything and everyone, knowing when and where they are weak. This is where the popular part of this chapter comes in. One found in everything from the face of Tim Tebow, and I think we've got a shot of him up there, uh, Isaiah 40, 31, as well as uh, you find it on cheesy Christian art, uh, to famous inspiring movies like Chariots of Fire. And we know, if you've ever seen this movie, the role that this text plays in the life of that runner. It is one that has encouraged people ever since the day it was spoken. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youth will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Imagine the strength that this gave to them to keep going. Imagine the difference these words can make in your life as well. In the midst of your feelings of weakness, powerlessness, and struggles in life, you can know that God will provide you with the strength to keep going. It is normal to get tired, to be beaten down, and to feel the weight of the things that are in your life. Even youth, with all of their energy, get this way at times. You have something different though. You have a real God. One that is not man-made or made out of objects that are laying around that you could fashion into a God. He is a real God. One who gives real power and real strength to people. People like you. And people like me. He is the one who can enable you to mount up with wings like an eagle when you can't find any strength or wind to lift yourself. Lifting you up to soar above the things below. Above the things that have been attached to you and the things that have been holding you down. He is the one who sees you running in the race of life. Kicking in His strength when yours is depleted. Giving you an endless supply of stamina to finish the race. Not just to make it another block or another mile, but to finish the race. He is the one who makes it possible to walk on when everyone else around you is fainting in their own strength. How does this happen, though? If you're an eagle still on the ground, if you are a, a runner who is feeling pretty weary right now, if you're a walker who has fainted, then how do you actually access this help? Because you may be thinking like I have thought as I've read this passage, well, I am tired. I'm weary. Where does this strength come, come in? Well, as Isaiah mentioned, it comes to those who wait for the Lord. Did you catch that part of this passage? 
for those who wait for the Lord. Such waiting was not passive idling, but active serving. They were to continue serving God, even in the disappointments, even in the weaknesses, the failures, the weariness of their lives. Much like Mother Teresa kept serving Jesus Christ in the gutters of the poor, we are to continue, even with our doubts and challenges. They would find renewal and strength only as they were moving. This is what Isaiah had for them. I read a story this past week by Emily Chandler, and she wrote about a picture of a house cat that was looking into a mirror. I really try not to include cats in my sermons as much as possible, but this one I just had to do. The reflection the cat sees in the mirror is that of a lion. Written on the poster at the bottom is the quote from Gandhi, You must become what you seek. If we are searching for Jesus to heal us, she says, we must become healers like Jesus. If we are searching for love, we must become love. If we want to be helped, we must help others. We must become good news to one another and to our community. If we are looking for new life, we must come alive as Jesus came alive. We must become who God has made us to be as we act on what He said that He will do. We must be active in our waiting on God. I close today by returning to the words that I shared earlier from Forrest Gump. The day that he broke free and ran. From that day on, I was going somewhere. I was running. That was a memorable day for him. Today, this day, could be a memorable day for you. This could be the day that you break free. The day that you go somewhere. Let's pray.